Welcome to the Joel Dattweiler Podcast. Tonight's talk is about letters of intent, kind of the last in a series of maybe, I guess, six or seven different presentations that we talk about. I am not an attorney and I am not an accountant, um, but we'll talk about a fair number of things tonight, but I uh, cannot give advice, obviously, and then you can obviously see where I'm licensed as well, too. So that's the legalese of things, things um, ranging from just basic basic financial planning, basic special needs planning at the beginning, a life care plan, you know, how do you go about meshing resources of a family with the child with special needs? What about guardianship, conservatorship, rep payees? What about government benefits? Um, we talked about succession plans for those in the past. Um, we've talked about special needs trusts. We've talked about <clears throat> ABLE accounts, you know, healthcare, everything. Tonight's event is obviously your workshop is about you know how to prepare a letter of intent and it's what it is i'll talk about in a second but it's really kind of the i wouldn't say the final piece but it's one of the more it's one of the important pieces to have along with these other things that are legal documents and uh, more official things this is one that uh, is you know the letter of intent is something that is very specific to you and your family to you and your child um, honestly you could have a letter of intent if you had a traditionally developing child up to the age of 18. You know, it's, it's, it's really directions for how to care for your child when they can't care for themselves, potentially. Um, so it's really, you know, we've had probably six or seven months in a row. Um, we'll finish up tonight with our, our week one. We'll have a couple of them this summer that we'll talk about that'll be on Saturdays. But uh, kind of our education um, workshop series, this will be uh, the last one of the, uh, the school year for us. And uh, we're excited to share it. So when we look at Maybe I think the idea is, is really trying to present the, the, the issue, right? What is the issue that we're trying to solve with a letter of intent? And when you look at, in its simplest sense, a family, a mom and a dad, or whoever happens to be partners that have a child that uh, could be of any age, really, um, that is a child with special needs, a child that probably is not going to be able to care for itself. It, it, they're going to need help for their entire lifetime. And... So we have our family here, and the, and the big question is, what happens when, when mom and dad are no longer there and the child's by themselves? In our previous presentations, we've covered a couple different areas of, of some of the questions. One of the questions that you have is, what about the financial care? You know, We're gonna need money to take care of this child. How do we do that? And that's one of the first things that we've approached. And when you look at that, there's, you know, you're gonna have help from the government. So you might have what's called SSI or SSDI, medical assistance or Medicaid. So you're going to have resources that will come to the child. In most cases, you have things called ABLE accounts that we've worked on before and done presentations on. You also have, and really kind of the big engine that can help fund and also take care of the child is going to be a special needs trust, which often will be a bucket where assets from your family will go into the special needs trust upon your passing and then be used for care of the child all while keeping the uh, the public benefits. And so those are those are the financial tools. And we've discussed those before uh, in previous events or previous workshops. And that's really the, you know, that's the guts of, of what's going on with, uh, with that situation. When we look at the next question is, okay, well, who will care for the person? Who will care for the child? And I think just last month or the month before, we talked about guardianship and conservatorship and what does it mean? And who should that person be? And that's, you know, 
when you choose, so we're, we're kind of going, going along this path tonight with the idea that you've decided where your money's gonna go, what vessels you're gonna use, you've decided who's gonna care for the child and who's gonna be the guardian of the child. And then the big question then is, you know, what if the guardian is someone who knows your child but is not with them every single day? Or what if there's a sudden event and someone now is charged with taking care of your child with a disability without having a lot of information, perhaps. They've become the guardian, and maybe it's maybe it's a state-appointed guardian, or maybe it's a family member who stepped up to be the guardian, but really doesn't know the child that well. So that's usually one of the big concerns is, you know, two-part concern of how do we fund this care? And then what do we do? Like, who is this person that we're going to take care of? And what do they need from us? I mean, think of it in the sense of, what if this person can't communicate? What if it's a nonverbal disability um, or it's a, a situation where maybe there's triggers, maybe the child can't communicate as well or doesn't want to communicate because it was a traumatic event where mom and dad passed away. So those are all things to consider. And it's what, what tools can you put in place as a family to help take care of your children? And that's what's called a letter of intent. So it's, it's a metaphorical sense, like it's, it's, it's a letter and that there's way there's a number of different forms and it's going to be specific to each family but it's it's really instructions and directions of how to care for your child so and it's you know what exactly it is there's different metaphors like i said that you can use but really it's an owner's manual for the beneficiary the beneficiary being you know the child with special needs or the person with special needs how are they taken care of and there's a number of different things we'll talk about probably 10 or 11 sections tonight that are important to make sure you address and have in place um, if you if you have you know some will be bigger some will be smaller some will vary depending upon your child's capability and their capacity um, and that's what's important to understand is not every single one is the same we have parents that have binders full of information we have parents that have a word document that is eight pages long we have parents that have a word document that is 47 pages long it's important to understand it's it's not a contest to see who can do a better letter of intent. It's a contest to say, how can you communicate your wishes and how can you communicate really what you've come to learn about your child and how they live their life? That's a really important concept to understand. Now, it's not a legal document. One of the better parts about it is you don't need an attorney to draft a letter of intent. You know, you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars per hour for that to be taken care of. In fact, you wouldn't want to, you know, I think it's a, it's a very, you know, detailed process at parts. Really the, the most important part, the heavy lifting is really going to be at the beginning and just starting it, getting over procrastination and deciding I'm going to address these areas for our child to make sure that if something happens to us that we can have this taken care of. So really those are the things that are important. I, I think probably the fourth bullet point is, really what, I mean, you can have wishes for your child, but what does your child bring to the table right now? What is most important? What have you learned about how they communicate, how they interact? They're gonna, they're not, they're, they have a disability, but they are no different than the children I have. Like my daughter who's a freshman, she has her idiosyncrasies. She has her things that she's good at, bad at, likes, doesn't like, doesn't like broccoli, likes steak, you know, I mean, all those different things. I mean, she has her own set of of things that I've learned about her, regardless of disability. And that's why you have to approach it as this is your child. 
you've learned about their wants and needs and what they will do and not do, there's grumpy as an ex-kid when it comes down to it. And I think at times. And so what's important to understand is that's what you're trying to do is communicate to the next person. Here's how you should take, here's what I've learned. There's going to be more that has to be learned, but here's what I know right now. And that's super important. So we talk about timeline. I'll show this a couple of times. You know, the, the timeline really can dictate the size of a letter of intent or the things that need to be in a letter of intent. You know, if you have a child born with a disability, you don't know much about that child. There's certain things that you're going to learn as you go, but your letter of intent will probably be quite small. As they grow and get older, you'll have an opportunity to learn more about your child, understand more about the child's disability. And so that, that letter of intent will grow. So I don't think that, that uh, maybe beating yourself up about your letter of intent for a two-year-old is, is really that productive of a conversation. What's important is to look at what are we trying to do? And I'll talk in a second here too about this timeline, but you know, birth to age three, three to age 18. We've used this before in previous, um, these are milestones for children with disabilities or adults with disabilities of what changes and when, at what age do things have major changes? So birth, age three, age 18, when the parents turn age 62 and become eligible for social security, and then when the parents pass. All are, are milestones that are important to understand. The two timelines that you, know, that you really wanna work on are not a lot different than some financial planning aspects. You know, number one is crisis management. What if there's a short-term change or a short-term sudden change, excuse me? Um, car accident, both parents pass the same time. Um, whatever that happened, whatever, whatever doomsday scenario you'd like to pick, that's going to happen right now. And how does that, how does that affect the child? Who needs to know the facts right now? So that's, what's most important of this heavy lifting is get things in place for the short-term sudden change. If we're gone tomorrow, who needs to know what about our child? And it, it can be almost a little nerve wracking if you think about it and you don't have anything in place but you can't let that paralyze you to, to not do anything. So really what's important in this part of it is crisis management, short-term sudden change, who needs to know what and how important is it and let's get the base facts down so the child can be cared for. Secondary to that is long-term planning. You're gonna have change over time and it's important to mold, like, you're, like we talked about in that timeline that we showed before, it's gonna grow in size over time as you learn more about your child, as medication changes, as treatment changes, as they grow, those are important things to, to understand. And that's really where your wishes can come in. You know, As they get older and you go from a three-year-old to maybe a 27-year-old who's living at home, what do you want for that child? What does that child want for themselves? Do, you know, are they capable of having that conversation? That's where the long-term, the longer you learn about them, the longer and the bigger that your letter of intent can become, or even just more detailed and more poignant in terms of these are the things that are very important, all while crisis management is still there because a sudden change, no matter when that happens, is gonna be a sudden change, is gonna be unnerving, and it's important to make sure you have that in place as well too. So the combination of the two are super important to understand and really use as your approach as you're doing this initial heavy lifting. So the basic topics 
and areas that, that you want to cover. You know, there's, I'm sure there's more to this potentially, but as I've gone through now and done a number of letters intent with families and learned, and one of the approaches that I have is I'll sit with the family and really pretend that I'm going to become the caregiver. And let's have a conversation. Let me learn about it. You give me a, a, a lot of information. I'll put together the letter of intent. And I'll come back and say, okay, if I was taking care of your child, here's the questions that I would have. Here's the things that I want to know. So you're complete in this section, but incomplete in these other sections. Let's 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 dig into these more. Um, so I'll go through the sections here of the of the information that I think are important. Obviously, I have plenty of examples to show. Um, they're hard to show without giving away information on the family, so I won't do that. But um, these are this is a culmination of, of some experiences that we've had probably over the last couple of years, really digging in with uh, with letters of intent. So number one, personal information. Pretty simple. Name, nickname, you know, you can add little things here. Hey, they like to be called this, or this is, they will respond to this, but definitely won't respond to that um, in terms of name or whatever else. You know, you want to list immediate family. So mom and dad, siblings, um, if you, you know, are close to people in town, for example, cousins, you know, who are the immediate people that know your child and know them well and would potentially be the person that would step in to care for them in a quick situation who are the numbers that like, it's basically like the babysitter list, you know, who's, who's on the babysitter list on the fridge. If mom and dad are out and the babysitter needs to call somebody who's on that list, that should be the list that's here. So um, you also want to have a list of your legal people, your financial people, your tax professionals, the different people that that's not going to be, that's not going to be day one in a crisis, but that will be something where, where are the accounts, where are the permissions, What's the information from an estate planning standpoint that we need to, who do we need to call to make sure we start that process? Um, you're gonna wanna have, if you have this, you know, as we talked about guardianship and rep payee, many times parents function as one or both usually. Um, who is the succession? You know, has there been a discussion or is this gonna be a situation where we don't have a guardian and there's gonna be a temporary guardian? Do you have that information there? Make sure you include it, contact information, they're part of the people that need to be called. Often will be immediate family, but not 100%. So make sure that you have that information in there. Um, I also think that you know one of the things that, that is often overlooked is people who know them the best are often gonna be teachers, special ed coordinators, caseworkers. Who are people that are their advocates? You know, If, if you take the, your child to events and there's people there from DSAW or from LAF or wherever it happens to be that know them very well, are they considered an advocate? You know, could they be a person that could be a temporary guardian or at least be the advocate for your child in that crisis or over the long term where you know that, hey, if we're going to be gone, we want to make sure that we, we have someone advocating for our child who really, quite frankly, will probably be pretty aggressive for your child's benefit. That's important to have. You, know, you don't have to be, it's okay for your advocate to be bossy when it comes right down to it. And you want to make sure that you have them there. So personal information can obviously fill in different things, but that's really the, the guts of what you wanna be able to have. Next would be living arrangements. This may or may not be a situation for some families. Um, you know, Does your child live at home? Do they not live at home? If they're at home, then just put, child lives at home, has their own room. You can put, you know, obviously you're gonna skip over like if, if they live in a group home. So we have, we have one uh, uh, example that we have a, a client or beneficiary who lives in a group home outside the house from mom and dad. Mom and dad will visit every day or every other day, but you're gonna have house manager, staff contact. Um, how are they cared for at the house? Many times the house will have medication lists, will have um, 
you know, how they're cared for, a binder, so to speak, of each person who's in the house. And really, what are the facts of their living situation? And how do you how do you dictate or who should they call and that type of thing? Um, you know, and, and really, how do they get to maybe even as, as, as detailed as how do they end up in that living arrangement? Are there other living arrangements that you would that would be considered acceptable or not acceptable? Nursing home versus a group home, whatever that may be. You can add some of the things to this as it gets more of a long-term situation. So that'd be important to understand. So what, where are they living? What's their housing situation? Who are they as a person? What's their living arrangements? And then, and then work to the next section. Next is really the important personal information. You know, so on its basics, you probably go to dietary right away. What are their likes? What are their dislikes? Do they have food allergies? Especially if they can't communicate on their own. One thing that's interesting here too, I think that's important to have is what's allowed by the parent. You know, just like I said, they're no different. My daughter hates broccoli, but she still has to eat it. You know, so what are the things that you're going to allow to them to say, well, they don't like it and they don't have to eat it. It isn't, <laughs> it isn't as if you have to bow to their wishes all the time. So what are the things that, you know, if they don't like vegetables, but they're going to eat them anyways, well then put that in there. You know, just because you're gone doesn't mean you have to be nice to them. You know, necessarily, it's still important for them to have uh, a good dietary practice as an example. Um, not sure my daughter would agree with that, but um, things like clothes, shoes, personal care. Are there specifics there that they need to have? You know, are there, you know, allergies for their skin or, you know, everyday things that every child will have? Are there things that they can't communicate? Um, if they can communicate, then I don't think you have to be super detailed with it. If they, you know, can't as much, then, you know, put the things there. If there's, you know, a certain, maybe it's a, a physical ailment that they have to have a certain type of shoe. Where is that shoe ordered? Even as detailed as, you know, go to Amazon, go to this place, it costs $13.95 and we're going to buy this. And if that's where you get it, you get it every six months. You know, those are routines there. Um, similarly, talk about what are the things that give them comfort? You know, favorite stuffed animals, a favorite blanket, favorite shirt, what are the things that they're always going to wear? Every kid has these. Every person has these. So don't be afraid to share these. You've learned this. They may grow out of it. And your letter of intent on year 17 is going to have a favorite bear. When they get to year 34, maybe they have a favorite rabbit. Whatever it happens to be, put that and be able to adjust that. Another thing we talk about and have experienced before is, you know, did they have different aids or devices that they use? So hearing aid, glasses, um, dental uh, things at night, uh, CPAP machine, um, some, uh, iPads that have certain, uh, you know, electronics that have certain devices that will help them understand or hear or see or, you know, that are adaptive to them. You know, what do they have in that situation? Where would you go for that? You know, like, well, we go to the school and we get this from the school or we order this, you know, and I think that's part of the education piece as well, too, is, you know, what are details with school? that's gonna come from the teachers. You know, you don't have to make that up on your own. You know, ask for the teacher's notes, look for the IEP, look for the information. You don't have to generate this by yourself. People will be, in most cases, I would think pretty helpful to share it's your child, right? So, so dig in these places where people, you know, they have to take notes, they have to document. So don't be afraid to take those things and they see your child as much as you do, especially if they're in you know, a school-age child. So important personal information, it starts to get pretty specific to them as a, uh, as a person. And again, grows over time. So next section would be medical history. You know, 
really, again, should be a summary of other files. Ask the doctor, you know, talk about, you know, again, the IEP, you know, what, what, where do we have things? It's medical history and doesn't need to be 700 pages, but it also can be, you know, where can I insert here that if this is important, you know, make sure that you have that available, you know, document their disability. What is their disability? You know, if it's autism, if it's Down syndrome, those are very well-known disabilities. If it's not that dis disability, put a description there if, you, if, it, if it's helpful, you know. Another thing I think it's important that would be the counter of disability is what are their abilities? What are they good at? What are they, what can they do? You know, and, and make sure that that's understood that it's not just about the disability. It's again, it's about their ability to do certain things and what are they good at? What are the things they like to do from that standpoint? But, you know, I think those are important, just as important if they're capable of doing things, that's, that's something that uh, you should share. Blood type is another one. You know, again, that's more of a crisis management situation, but good to have for any child. Um, you know, what is their mobility status? You know, are they, are they in a wheelchair? Are they able to move around? Can they go hiking? Do they have a physical ailment? Whatever it happens to be, um, you know, make sure you have, you share that information as you learn it. And then triggers, you know, like what's going to trigger a child, um, you know, loud noise, um, environment, being around too many people, um, you know, and who knows what that is, but if it's there, share it, right? And as you learn it, share it as well too. Um, doesn't have to just be a, a, a trigger that, you know, causes a complete meltdown. It can be something that just makes them uncomfortable, you know, and then, you know, wearing a certain shirt or whatever it happens to be, that's, uh, that's something that uh, is important to put in the medical history as well too. So this, this will be a mix mash of both um, documents from the medical community and you documenting things as well too. Healthcare team, have a list of your doctors, of your nurses, with the numbers they can be reached at. You're not gonna be able to get directly to them most often, but you can have, how do we contact them, right? Who is your primary care physician that they see annually? Who is gonna be the specialist that they see? Maybe it's an audiologist, maybe it's a uh, podiatrist, maybe it, whoever it happens to be that works with them. Everything from, you know, dentist, um, eye doctor, all the different types of professionals that you would have, make sure that you list them, where they're at, what town they're in, you know, do they, are they in Cashton, are they in La Crescent, you know, have you found someone that's, that takes a certain type of uh, insurance that you have, and so you have to travel a little bit, have that information, have the numbers, and then also have a schedule of what a normal year looks like from an appointment standpoint. You know, we go to the dentist twice, we go to the eye doctor once, we go to the primary care physician twice. Need to make sure we go to the primary care physician that we have another evaluation on their hearing or whatever it happens to be. Um, that's important. Put a normal year together. Obviously, with COVID this year, it's a little bit different. But what does a normal schedule look like? And if your child's living with you, you probably know this. If your child's living in a group home or someplace outside your home and you have an older child, it's going to be possibly the house that they're in. And so grab that schedule of information from them. If they're taking that child or someone else is a caregiver for your child, take their information. Don't try and create it on your own. Take it from them. Take their notes. Probably a good way of checking to make sure they're doing their job and also add that to your letter of intent. Another important thing to think about too is what's not going to happen. What are you not going to allow it to have happen? You know, is there certain vaccines that you do not want your child to have. And that's, you know, that, that can be 
political, religious, whatever based, I don't really care what that reasoning is, but if you want that to not happen, it's important to put that in the letter of intent. So certain procedures you don't want. You know, some doctors may say, well, you should just do this. You know, well, no, I don't want that done. I wouldn't do that for my child who's traditional development. Why would I do it for my child with a disability? And if you've had those discussions with the doctor, and if you feel that you would not, if, if you were not there to be an advocate for your child, that that, that that procedure may, be, may happen or the person with them may be talked into it, make sure that's in your letter of intent so that the guardian or, you know, the guardian understands that's not going to happen. So that's important. Um, things like birth control are things that people sometimes overlook, but it's also, it's very apparent and very, you know, present in the, uh, and important, I think, in the letter of intent to have a discussion about. Um, and I think you also get to where a little bit with some of this situation is also, is your child a self-advocate? They have a disability, but they're a self-advocate. Do they need someone going with them to the doctor um, or do they have a guardian? You know, so you, you cross into a, an area that's a little bit different um, that you still should have a letter of intent, but you may have a child who's making their own decisions or maybe not, or maybe needs help making decisions. That's important to have written down as well too. So we don't, uh, have a lot of conversations about self-advocates. That's one of the things we'll work on getting into next year um, and over the summer. But that's, you know, there, there's a, a different a different slope there that you're gonna have to navigate and, it's, and it can be slippery at times. Next, we have medications along with the medical team. You know, what medications do they take? When do they take them? How often do they take them? Who administers the medications? Where do you get these medications? Which pharmacy do you go to? Part of that is, again, where are they? Are they with you at home? And so you know all this information. Usually one spouse knows and the other one doesn't. Or are they at a house? And if they're at a house, they're required by law to keep track of all the medications and who gets what, how often, so on and so forth. And they often will get the medications themselves. So again, take information that, uh, that don't, don't reinvent the wheel if you don't have to. And if you know, then get it out of your brain, put it on paper and make sure you have a system down. So um, that's an important place to, to make sure that you have these things. Again, what do you not want to do? What for sure can we not have? You know, allergies, so on and so forth. Um, you probably could have that type of situation with foods as well, too, if you have, you know, an allergy to red dye or whatever else that happens to be. So um, pretty straightforward medications. If you have none to worry about, then you have none. And it can be something that maybe grows. It can be just allergy medications or ibuprofen or whatever it happens to be. Um, but, uh, you know, this is a place to be detailed, obviously. Last part of the medical area really is like, well, how do we pay for this? You know, what types of, you know, how does your child afford medical care? You know, are they on medical assistance? Are they, you know, how does the whole thing happen? So if you have, let's say your child is on medical assistance, how is their, how are their bills paid for? You know, do you have personal insurance that helps to cover your child is primary and then the secondary is Medicaid or is it, you know, do they have Medicare because they're on SSDI now? Um, there's usually some combination. If you're not sure and you're working with someplace like Inclusa and you have a caseworker, this is where you need to know this. And this is where you should dig in and really write this down on a piece of paper so that the person coming in knows Yes, we do this. No, we don't do this. Here's how we pay for bills. Here's who pays for drugs. Here's how the medication is taken care of. Um, you know, we have a deductible for our personal insurance. So then we use this money here. Um, 
we have a copay, so on and so forth. Each place is gonna be a little bit different. Um, I found that military families have a little bit different situation than families that are civilian. Um, <clears throat> we will often look at that with a family if they need help and then also work with a caseworker. If you have a caseworker with Inclusive, that's, you know, those are things that you wanna make sure that you understand, but then document and, and document in a way that can be hopefully simply understood um, and be able to understand also, do you private pay? Do you have supplements that are extra that are not covered by insurances? Do you have services? Maybe there's a massage, maybe there's a certain type of therapy that you have, and those are paid for privately. Those types of things are what's paid for out of the trust. You know, if the trust or the ABLE account pays for the deductible, pays for the copay, pays for the extra services that you want to continue after you've passed. So how you pay for medical payments is, is an important thing and how, how your insurance functions. Obviously, if both parents pass and there's personal insurance involved, well, that personal insurance will then probably cease to exist. And that's gonna be something that the guardian is gonna to have to navigate afterwards, but at least if they know at the, inst at the instance of, of passing what the situation is, they have a chance to work through it and, and, and solve the problem afterwards. Next would be, so we get to the medical portion and the payment portion. Then we talk about, I think, more of the fun stuff, right? Where you've got, okay, well, what activities do they like? Where do they want to go? You know, do they go hiking? Do they go to football games? Do they go to, you know, walks in the park? Do they, you know, are they capable of going out and going kayaking on the river? You know, or whatever happens to be, going swimming. You know, are they not physically active, but like to go to the library? Or they, they like to work and work at Aptiv, for example. Um, you know, what do they like? What do they dislike? What have they found that, uh, hey, well, I can work here, but if it gets to be too many people or they can work at Aptiv on Tuesdays, but Thursdays is like, a, is, a, is a crazy town, so we're not going on Thursdays. Um, what, do the, what are the things that you make them do anyways, just like you know, eating broccoli, that's still gonna be in their best interest, even though they don't really wanna go, you know, what are you gonna make them do anyways? And what, what do you want them to, to experience regardless? So, um, Part of it too is like I missed at the beginning there is like, where do you not want them to go? Where can they not go? I like, can't go to a football game and sit in the stands. They can go and sit and sit on the fence and they can watch the game. But when they get in the stands, there's too many people that are close by and they can't handle the close quarters. You know, those are all things that, that I think are important to, uh, to understand. Um, respite care. Do you have respite care? Who comes in? Where do you get it from? Does it come from UWL? Does it come from Gunderson? Is it a private person that you've hired? Um, is it one of the agencies in town that you pay for? How often do they come? Two, three days a week, once a week, whatever it happens to be, do you drop them off or does the person come to your house and take them or just come to the house and, and care for them? And then how do you pay for them? You know, sometimes it's, you know, do I you just pay cash or do you use a payment app or, or whatever it happens to be? And a lot of this stuff I think is gonna be constantly changing. You know, a, a 17 year old will probably have different interests than a 32 year old. Maybe not, but you would like to think that probably there's going to be some type of change over time that you'll need to adjust the letter as the child gets older and it molds to the interests of the child. So this is something I think can be really good um, and can be very detailed. And again, it will, as you learn more about your child, this section will start to grow. Next section would be as we look at, you know, what are the really important things and we're talking about the financial care of the child that the guardian has a trust and has benefits, but what does it look like? 
you know, what's the guardian walking into? So where are the bank accounts? Is it at Ultra? Is it at Cooley Bank? Is it at Merchants? Is it at Park Bank? You know, where are, the, where are these accounts and who has access? Who's the rep payee on paper? Who has, you know, if both parents have passed away, who is the payable on death beneficiary? Um, who's responsible? And I think that, you know, just having really like with the cash flow, I've had most success with flow charts. Draw a picture, here's the bank, here's the checking and the savings, money comes in, money goes out. You know, what money comes in? Do they have, they work at Quick Trip and they make money, so money gets dumped in. Do they have SSI or SSDI? Do they have grants that come in? You know, so what what is the funding mechanism for the account each month that comes in? What day does it come in? And then what goes out? You know, do you charge rent if they're living at home? Do they pay rent for the group home? What expenses do they have? You know, maybe it's a cell phone, maybe it's food, maybe, you know, whatever it happens to be, what is the cash flow that is going to continue on for your child that they need to be able to, the, the caregiver needs to understand, at least on the basic sense, it's going to change. You have to accept the fact that things are going to, are going to be changed after you've passed, but what do you know right now? And again, like in that crisis moment, that's going to be pretty important. You don't want to lose benefits because you haven't explained the cash flow to the next person in line. So um, how do you want your other accounts or how are your other accounts used? You know, how do you use the ABLE account? How do you use a trust account? You know, how when those things can come in as supplementary income or supplementary uh, pieces of uh, financial support for the child, what are those there and how do you use them? So that's, that's the money aspect of things that I think is, is pretty important. Benefits themselves, how, you know, what types of benefits do you have? Do you have to report, you know, so if you have a child who's just turned 18, they have a qualified disability, they are an SSI, they're going to have income reporting, they're going to have asset reporting. And let's say that you and your spouse pass away when they are 19, the asset reporting doesn't stop. Someone needs to be able to do that and be able to continue to do that. And so which, which benefit do you have? Which, you know, what's important to report? And how do you make sure that you keep that benefit? You know, are there forms that must be completed? Usually with Social Security, there's an annual form that needs to be filled out and submitted. You want to make sure that you at least the, the, uh, the caregiver knows it's when it's going to happen, where it needs to be done. And how do we make sure that, you know, how do we understand what benefits are reviewed? Do the caseworker and the nurse show up every year or every six months to check on a wellness check or whatever, you know, what does it happen to be? Something comes up that doesn't make sense and it's getting out of control with the benefits or whatever else, who do you call? Do you call the caseworker? Do you call a special needs planner? Make sure you have that information there that you can't solve every problem. So you need to have someone who can solve the problem and their contact information there as well too. Um, and I think this is also important too, like really, you know, we've run into a few situations recently where accounts have grown with stimulus money and the money's been spent and been, you know, it has an exception, but then the other money doesn't get spent. And so the accounts are starting to grow. And is the person, do they have a disability, but they're a self-advocate and then they don't understand. And now all of a sudden we're, we're in jeopardy of losing benefits without quick action. You know, if it's a guardian situation, it's, it's one way of doing it. And if it's a self-advocate situation, it's definitely another. Um, last section is kind of the catch-all. You know, you've got miscellaneous things that uh, we, we have a number of pages that uh, probably they're like, so for example, direction for use of special needs funds, not a legal document. You can't force someone to do it, but you can put a pretty large description and, and use legal terms, I think, and also use some, some language that makes sense to the person reading it of 
here's what our expectation is for the use of the special needs funds. This is what we want to have happen. And it's, it's usually honored by the court. And in the case of, you know, the judge will look at it and help to guide. And if the guardian's not following it, the guardian will be held accountable. Um, directions for use of the ABLE account. How do you want that used? What's important to be, you know, we want for this, we don't want for that. There's no 100% guarantee, but it's also for sure not gonna happen if you don't put anything down. So that's what's important to understand there. What are your wishes for a guardianship succession? You can't really put, I mean, the guardianship succession and the guard, change of guardianship will happen after you pass away. There's really no way to do it, you know, to guarantee it after you've passed, if you remain the guardian. If you give it up before you pass away, that's the best way to, to guarantee it. If you pass away as the guardian, the state will become the guardian and then someone will be appointed by the state shortly after. Well, what are your wishes for that guardianship succession? What are your wishes for the rep payee succession? Guardianship is handled by the county. Rep payee is handled by Social Security. There are no guarantees. Other than if you put nothing, they're going to pick somebody. So put something down, put who you want to have happen, make your wishes known so that can be taken care of. Other things that you have that, uh, that are important, healthcare directive, power of attorney. Um, you're gonna have you know, other documents that you think might be there that are important. Really the appendix can just be, it's like the three ring binder that you punch three holes in and throw it in there because you're not totally sure. Healthcare directives, if you're the guardian of your child, your child cannot sign a healthcare directive. They are not a, a credible person to do that. If they're not, if they don't, they can't sign their own information if they're not their own self. But you can put your wishes down as to what you want to have happen for that child and have that conversation with them if they're capable of understanding it and talk about it or just make the decision as the parent yourself and say, here's what I want to have happen. Here's what I want the guardianship, the guardian to do should my child be incapacitated and not make decisions or, you know, here's what I would do and this is what I want the, the, um, the guardian to do. Also power of attorney, if you have it, is important, especially if your child's 18 and you need to be able to get access to medical records. Have that with you and have that something, that's what the guardian's gonna have to have as well too. So those are the areas um, in this miscellaneous that come up the most often and really are, I think, you know, again, it's the miscellaneous or the appendix is a catch-all, but it's also something that can be very, very good and really probably some of the more valuable things that even if you don't have time in a particular night, you have a, a new document, Put it in there so that if something happens to you, it's at least there and can be looked at. You're in the ballpark for making sure you're taking care of it. So that's the 11 sections that we have of the of the the uh, the sections that we've done so far, or the the, the uh, letters that we've done so far, and had some had good success with. Um, again, the timeline is important to understand. You know, it's going to be quite small on the left of the screen at birth. You know, there may be it's like diagnosis, certain things you want to have done. As they grow older, the book gets bigger, the binder gets bigger. You're gonna have IEPs, you're gonna have information from doctors, you know. Make sure that you have it. You know, you're gonna have a big binder, but make sure that you have something that I mean you think about it, if if you were the guardian to take over someone else's child and you're handed a hundred and fifty age, hundred and fifty page booklet with ten point single space font how good are you gonna be able to read that and dissect information in a timely fashion to make sure the child is taken care of? Make it something, you know, draw pictures. I'll have that a little bit later. Draw pictures, have things that are easy to understand, have crisis moments, and then have long-term plans and wishes that you can add in 
when the when the guardian has time to uh, to go through and read the process. So, talk a lot about pictures. One of the things that I've had success with is is just really drawing diagrams. You know, this is a, a, a generic letter of intent picture with your child in the middle and all the the bubbles on the outside. You know, this may or may not apply to every child, and it's not going to, I guess, really when it comes down to it. But you know, what is the cash flow, personal finance? What is, you know, who's the, what's the guardianship situation? What's the medication? You know, all those areas we just got done talking about. Um, you know, you look at like the SECURE Act of 2019, that deals with, well, what are your assets? And when your assets pass to your child, is that going to affect them or not affect them? You know, like those are all like little finance things that you can go through as part of estate planning. The bubbles can be whatever you want them to be, with obviously the idea that you're going to have a couple things that you probably should have and almost everyone needs to have when it comes down to it. So one of the things that I'll say here at the end too is, you know, when we talk about the final thoughts and what's really important is the heavy lifting is at the beginning. You have to start. You can't procrastinate, you know, and you have to, you know, I think a big part of that is take the sections and draw pictures, you know, start somewhere and, get some diagrams down or even just take the diagram that we just showed and say, okay, what are our bubbles? What are our areas we want to make sure we know and plan for the crisis first mold and learn about your child over the long term, and create a story for the care of your child. As you get, you know, as you get older and life goes on, use the tools you already have doctors, teachers, the IEP, there's, there's lots of notes on your child out there. Don't be afraid to, to steal that information from people. They're your documents. Go ahead and use them. You're probably giving them sometimes, but there's also lots of information out there. Dissect that information, use it to the best of your ability, and and you know, really build a good a good case for your child as as more information pours into their or their their personal profile. It's important, I think, to work with a professional. You know, one of the things that we do, like you need someone, if, if you need that help, you know, get someone to help you and schedule the meetings and review and constantly like be on the person that reminds you to say, hey, we've got to get this done. This is on our to-do list. Let's get this taken care of and let's keep pushing. You know, it's one of the things that, that we do. I'm probably work to be pleasantly persistent and I get apologized to a lot, but I don't really need to be apologized to. My job is to make sure we're getting the job done. You know, let's, let's get this thing put in place and then let's review it. Not, I mean, it's the same as an estate plan. You know, procrastination is the root of all evil when it comes down to uh, to getting these things in place. And uh, you know, know that the heavy lifting's at the front end, and just gut it out and, and get after it, and have someone who's willing to tell you that when it comes down to it. So it's important to align it with your financial planning, your estate planning, which kind of goes unsaid, but or goes without saying. But that's important to understand. And then. At the very end, there's going to be like, I think that there's a, there's a tendency to create longer documents. And I would say that one of the things that you're going to have to realize is that there are going to be things that are out of your control and you've got to be able to let go and realize that, you know, if you're gone, there's not a thing you can do about it and you won't be stressing because you won't be living. And I think that's, you know, sometimes a little bit direct, but it's also important to understand that you put people in place, you do the best you can, and it, it gives some peace of mind to go with their estate planning. And so I think that's, you know, obviously we're here to help. And, you know, that's, don't be afraid to reach out. There's not a charge to have a conversation or anything like that. If we end up working together, great. If not, it's not that big a deal, but I want to make sure that I can provide some help and I've got examples to share. And, um, 
will obviously give the information out freely just to make sure that you have an opportunity to, to take care of your child. Hey, this is Joel. If you're hearing this, you've just listened to one of our podcasts. Thanks for being here and thanks for taking the time. Please share, spread the word, all those different things that come with all the social media platforms I don't know very much about. Find us at www.quantumplanners.com or jdetweiler at quantumplanners.com. We'd love to hear all the good things and we still want to hear the bad things. If there's something we can do better, please let us know. The Joel Detweiler podcast is graciously supported by the Ava and Lily Downtown Baby Corporation. Downtown baby, I can do karate. Downtown baby, I can call my mom. Me. Downtown baby, I can eat salami. Downtown baby, oops, I'm sorry, Todd. This communication is strictly intended for individuals residing in the states of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Colorado, and Tennessee. No offers may be made nor accepted from any resident outside these states due to various state regulations and registration requirements regarding investment products and services. Investments are not FDIC nor NCUA insured, are not guaranteed by a bank financial institution, are subject to risks including possible loss of the principal invested. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA SIPC Registered Investment Advisor, Schmoker Financial Services, 2800 National Drive, Suite 103, Alaska, Wisconsin, 54650. The Quantum Group does not provide tax nor legal advice. Please consult a legal or tax professional regarding your individual situation. Tax and or legal services provided by a third party, CPA or attorney, or other professionals are separate and unrelated to both Quantum Group and Commonwealth Financial Network.